Hello! <laughs> and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel, Undecided with Matt Farrell. I am not Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer and the older brother of the aforementioned Matt Farrell. Matt, do you want to say hello? Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about the most recent episode from Matt's channel. It's entitled The Truth About Nuclear Fusion Power, New Breakthroughs. And this episode dropped on April 28th, 2020. So before we get into the heart of the episode, I wanted mm -hmm. to follow up on something that is related to both big picture, real world news and the most recent episode of this podcast and the previous episode of your channel because they revolved around Elon Musk and mm -hmm. the coronavirus. And he has been in the past week been in the news for making what I will call irresponsible statements around what the social distancing shutdown is for, right. what the impact of the coronavirus is, and the reality of the situation we're in. And before I pass it over to you, I would just like to say that I have a difficult time with anybody who is not in a, anybody who's not in proximity of the threat themselves making judgments about how truly dangerous or safe something is mm -hmm. it always hits me the wrong way and right now the coronavirus um one of the very clear impacts is that it is affecting people largely based on economies people who are affluent are largely safe and new york city is a perfect testing ground of that where they have charted the impact of the virus and the communities that are most impacted and the communities that have experienced not only the most illness, but the most death. And it is absolutely along economic lines. The communities with affluence have far less infection and far less uh, impact from actual demise from the illness than those communities that don't. And Elon Musk is an individual who is not running in those communities that is going to be impacted by the virus in the same way. And for him to be making statements that we are experiencing something fascist because our governments are telling us to stay home, I think is socially irresponsible and morally bankrupt. And it is extremely problematic for me. So I just wanted to, yeah, I think it was important to bring that up considering our previous episode was the five things we like about Elon. Uh, I think it's important to point out that here's a case of a person who should just keep his mouth shut about something that is not actually impacting him in any way other than in his pocketbook. And he comes across as an ignorant uh, and self-absorbed individual when he does this. Yeah. I, to also clarify for listeners, Sean, Sean lives in Brooklyn, so he's kind of in the heart of 
where this is flaring up. So you have a lot more of a firsthand view of what this looks like in a community that's getting ravaged by it. Um, my, I was saying this to you before we start recording. Uh, my view on Elon is very nuanced and it doesn't come across in my videos most of the time. But I, I, I'm a huge, unabashed Tesla fanboy. I love what Tesla's doing from solar, batteries, electrification of transportation. They're changing the world. And I love what SpaceX is doing. And there's so much stuff that Elon is doing that is doing good things for the world. But as a person, he's, he's a flawed individual, just like the rest of us. And he tends to have a blind spot because he's a very... I've worked in software development for my entire career and computer programmers and engineers tend to be very, you know, the left brain, right brain thing. And they tend to be very like ones and zeros, black and white on a lot of issues. Like I've worked with people that seem to be on the spectrum (laughs) and they're very like, I am hundred percent right because this is a math problem. And this is looking at so black and white. Here's what it is. This is the answer. It's like, no, no, there's there's gray area to this. And for me, every time I watch Elon and how he responds to things, whether it's how they approached manufacturing their cars in the Tesla factories, uh, you know, let's ro- put robots on everything and make the factories self-sufficient. And later he turned out, everybody criticized him for that. Later he turned out, he said, you know what? You were right. Going all the, with all these robots was a mistake. Um, he learns and he adjusts. But oftentimes at the beginning, when he thinks he's right because he's reading data and he's looking at ones and zeros and he's seeing things in a black or white view, he tends to put his foot in his mouth (laughs) half the time. And when it comes to what's going on right now in the world, there's only one type of person you should be listening to when it comes to the coronavirus and COVID-19, and that's medical professionals and researchers who know what they're talking about. And anybody else that's saying that they know what's going on here and this is a mistake the way we're handling this, you need to ignore. And that's what drives me nuts about what Elon's doing on Twitter and on the quarterly call that just happened where he called this fascist um, the response. He needs to understand the bully pulpit he has and the sway he has. And when he says these things, it carries more weight than the average person. And He needs to understand he does not know everything he's talking about because he's not an expert that's been studying this for their entire career. He's an engineer. And the medical professionals and the people that are, you know, the the Fauci's of the world who do know Mm -hmm. what they're talking about directly contradict what he's saying. And it's one of those, I'm going to trust the experts who know what they're talking about on this. And I just wish he would stop talking about it. The other side of this is I've noticed over the history of Elon is that on Twitter, he tends to say things that are really irresponsible when he gets stressed. Yeah. And there was a period where Tesla was about to go out of business. The ramp up to Model 3 was getting really bad. And he was saying things on Twitter that, you know, the whole, he wanted to take the company private. The, right. you know, when we reach dollars per share, we're going to go private. That got him in trouble with the SEC. He he makes these comments. And he starts to kind of go off the rails whenever he gets stressed. And right mm-hmm. now, he is clearly highly stressed because Tesla is shut down in yeah. the United States. They're not making a single car right now. And so it's, it's scary 
got to be really scary for, you know, every business owner. I'm an independent businessman and I'm freaking out a little bit. So it's like, I can imagine that his is like amplified by a million times. So he's very stressed. And so he's kind of in a way lashing out. And over the past couple of days, he said things on Twitter that are bizarre, just flat wrong and like questionable. So I just wish he would learn from his mistakes and just pump the brakes and yeah. understand maybe this isn't a good time for me to be tweeting right now. Maybe I should just keep this to myself for the moment until a cooler head prevails. But he doesn't seem to have that self-control, which drives me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also the element of the legality of some of the stuff he says. There was an SEC uh, investigation when he said he wanted to take the company private because they went into this whole investigation of it could it be stock manipulation. And it one of the conditions of not being charged with anything was that he guaranteed that his tweets would be vetted by a Tesla lawyer before he tweeted anything. Mm -hmm. And he has not done that. And he recently admitted that he has not done that. And it was after the most recent Twitter explosions where he talked again about what might happen with the company and the stock being overvalued. Uh, there are some le there was a article I read where some legal scholars are saying the SEC is probably looking at this again to see if he's actually now gone against the early I, agreement. Yeah, I, I saw I saw that too, but I've also seen other articles that are saying his comment of it about it being valued too high is probably not going to amount to anything because it this is not yeah. the first this yeah. well, this is not the first time he said this. He has yeah. basically said that comment like five or six other times over the past eight years. Like in 2017, he said it on Twitter, where we're overvalued for what we're actually doing. And then a year later, he did it again. A year later, he said it twice more. So it's like, this is not the first time he's said that one. But where he was saying the whole, we're taking a private at 420, that that has a dramatic impact on the market. Right. Where this one had an impact on the market, but it's in a very different way. And so the fact that he's already done this multiple times, chances are, it won't amount to anything because it didn't. Yeah, yeah. They don't think he actually broke the 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 deal with this comment. But from my point of view, it's like, why as a CEO of a company would you even want to say that? Like, why yeah. why would you say that? Yeah. I don't. That's what I don't get. And the thing you would say would be, in order to protect your shareholders, and the way you start that conversation is with the shareholders. You don't jump on Twitter. And to go back to something you said about. Um, when he's stressed, that is that you can read in the the most recent Twitter uh, upheaval. You can hear the stress in those tweets. Mm -hmm. If you look at what was said, it does sound like somebody who's freaking out. But I think that to go back to your comment about the bully pulpit, um, people when they get a million people following them, it their vision of where they're what their role is becomes twisted and it becomes that I'm smart enough to interpret data. Um, that's the thing, but that's the thing yeah. about Elon. I don't think that's why he's doing this. I think he's always been like this. I think that's how his brain works. Mm -hmm. um, he is one of the smartest guys in the room and he knows he's one of the smartest guys in the room and he thinks the way he thinks is obviously we, most of us think this way. We got the right opinion. Right. So it's like, I don't think this is because he has millions of followers, but I think the problem is he's not recognizing the dramatic influence he has because he has millions of followers and he needs to learn to moderate 
his public. I, I, I wasn't trying to say that it was yeah. that the followers was the cause, but that it exacerbates yeah. the underlying problem. Yes, exactly. That he's yeah. he's already considers himself to be on the right side of these issues because he's a smart enough guy and he knows he's the smart guy. And then he gets a million followers and some of them go, yeah, 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 you're right. And he doesn't realize that behind those people are potentially some of the people who are militantly trying to push back on social distancing in what comes across as really strange ways. Um, I don't know how demonstrating a lack of social distance proves a point, but there are people who are effectively endangering themselves and other people and somebody in his position lends them not only supports their stance inadvertently, but gives them cover because they can then point to, well, look at these powerful, smart people. That's, that's kind of what I was getting at before about only listening to medical professionals. Yeah. There's part of, there's part of the reason I haven't been talking about COVID-19 on videos is I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Right. And if I got information wrong with that kind of thing, people it's could die. Danger. Yeah, it's dangerous. If I get something wrong about fusion energy, yeah, people are not going to die. die. Yeah. <laughs> Although so I will admit I've been building a fusion reactor based on your video <laughs> in my backyard and I'm about to plug it in. So <laughs> good, good luck with the plasma reaction, Sean. <laughs> yeah. I got high hopes. Got a bowl full of salt water. <laughs> What could and possibly a, go wrong? <laughs> and a power strip in the water. I just have to plug it in. Okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? seriously, what's the worst that could happen? So that's a natural segue yeah. <laughs> from our hopefully um, clarifying discussion around Elon to the subject of your latest video. Um, you've been doing a lot of these lately where I watch them and I feel informed and ignorant at the same time. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's my goal. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wow, look at the big brains on Matt. Uh, you know, it's that it's, there's a lot of information to unpack. And I think, and this is, this is a compliment. Uh, I think your video would be perfect for a classroom of high school students, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, no. this really yeah. was kind of, I mean, like trying to distill a lot of information into a what is going on and what is the potential um, in a at a level of education that I was able to digest without. You know, like I was, I was watching the video while I was also trying to make some bagels. Uh, <laughs> so when you reach the point, fusion reactor, <laughs> exactly. So when you reach the point where you're like, and it's shaped kind of like a donut. And I was like, no, it's a bagel. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a bagel in my hand at that moment. I'm like, I'm like, I am the smartest person in this room right now. Of course I was the only person in the room, but. <laughs> Which made that factually true. <laughs> it was factually true. So one of the things that occurred to me while I was watching the video and while I was um, finishing it up was the amount of information packed into it's, it's what a 10 minute long video. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how much time went into your research? Oh man, these these videos take a a lot of time because, as I said at the beginning, it hurt my brain. Uh, it really did hurt my brain because this was pushing the boundaries of my understanding. <laughs> and uh, doing doing a research like this for this video took me days of work spread over probably a week and a half or to two weeks of reading. And and then when I got to the stage of writing, it was just an intensive like day and a half of writing and rewriting and going back and double checking everything. This one was, this one really kind of kicked my butt on the research side. Uh, So I probably won't be doing this style of video very often. And I say that with the plans of doing one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to lay off on the intense ones, except for the next week's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I've learned yeah. my lesson. I'm a glutton for punishment, but it, it's one of those I love. I, I've i always loved this style of learning kind of things like this. Like I grew up watching, what was it? Uh, those, the, Bill Nye, the science guy, those kind of videos, yeah. TV shows. It's like, I've always been fascinated with it doesn't go so in depth that you end up being like, what is happening? It's just like a surface level kind of giving you some basic understanding of what's happening. And I enjoy those. And so I was enjoying reading about this. And so making a video about it was kind of fun. Yeah. And when you, I'm trying to imagine where do you start with this kind of research? Are you just starting with nuclear fusion or are you, how are you finding out about the history of the research? How are you, how are you getting into that? I, I usually, it's going to sound really lame, but I usually start at Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just giving to kind of give me a oversight as to like the Wikipedia page on fusion energy has a really good write-up as to like the basics of what it is how it works and then the history it goes to the 20s the 30s the 40s the 50s it goes through each decade as to what's happened so it gave me a nice high level snapshot and then based on what i'm finding there then i kind of drill in deeper like oh it was interesting research from the 50s so i will then start researching the people that the wikipedia article talked about and i'll find articles on scientific american and other places around the internet of that go into a lot more detail on those specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the video, I talked about a company called uh, HB11, this guy who, Australian uh, doctor that discovered like the, how lasers could create the reaction. Uh, I was absolutely fascinated about that. And then I remembered a viewer had told me about HB11 about six months ago. And so I was like, he told me, you should look into this company. And I was like, holy cow, here it is. And here's why he was telling me this. Mm-hmm. And so I just read tons of stuff about the company and that professor and like why he came up with this idea and then why it stopped and didn't go anywhere. And then why it picked up again later. It was like, it's, I kind of just follow the threads where it takes me. And I usually start from that kind of like encyclopedia high level snapshot and just work my way down. And yeah, so that answered my my one of my follow up questions, which was then how do you get into the company research, and have you reached a point yet where you have you ever been inclined to reach out directly to those companies and and talk to the people uh, in involved directly in the research? Yes, yeah, oh yeah. Um, I don't want to give away future videos, but there's 
I've already reached out to some people about stuff just like that. And I want to do more of that, but the whole coronavirus thing has shut that down. Yeah. It kind of stalled it because some of these places are closed and not doing research right now. Uh, uh, I had actually worked out plans to actually go to some places to talk to people in person. Those have been shelved. So it's, it's one of those. Absolutely. It's like, I would prefer to hear it from the horse's mouth and have them explain it. Like when I did that video for a Tristy and wireless charging. Yeah. That's part of the reason I reached out to them because it was like, I could do a video talking about this, but this company's right here in Massachusetts. I might as well to go talk to them and have them explain it firsthand. Right. Um, so it's like, I, I, I like the idea of talking to the people who, like I, like I said, hurt my brain, but here's right. somebody who's, whose brain it doesn't hurt because they're actually doing it. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And you mentioned getting it directly from the horse's mouth. How many horses are involved in nuclear fusion research? A lot of horses, Sean. That's, that's great. Yes. I mean, we do measure things in horsepower. Yes. So that does explain that. <laughs> Imagine the horse. How many horses yeah. would it? How many, what's the horse equivalent <laughs> of the nuclear reaction in the yeah. center of the sun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 5.2 million horsepower. <laughs> Imagine the horse researcher who cracks that. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Dr. Buttercup. That is a lot of horses. <laughs> So one of the fascinating things from your video that I took away was how old this line of research actually is. And you mentioned that it was uh, originally identified in the 1920s. Yes. Um, It's it's really amazing to think like the theoretical uh, physics – that was taking place and it's all on a chalkboard as Albert Einstein and other theoretical physicists were cor- laying out a course of what the math told them and coming up with ideas of the theory of relativity, black holes, string yeah. theory, like all of that stuff is taking place on in figures on a chalkboard and on the other side of it you have research that takes place in labs or with experiments around radiation and identifying what is actually happening here with this radioactive isotope what is what potentially could happen if we did these other things and what could happen and coming up to that moment of identifying nuclear fusion do you know was the identification of fusion was that something that was because of theoretical research or was it because of something of hard experimental research it was it was a little bit of both i mean of course it starts with theoretical stuff but it was i think it was in the early 30s that one of the first experiments was done that was tracking uh, i think it was protons uh towards a target and it was measuring the uh, energy that was generated from those. It was like the first actual physical experiment that was done that kind of confirmed fusion and how it was starting to, the understanding of how it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it, it kind of, it's in the same exact time frame as the development of like the nuclear bomb. So it was like, right. yeah, the research into fission and fusion was kind of going hand in hand right. um, down to kind of like parallel paths. And you now, can't of course, help but think about the the doctors like you know i just envision a room full of middle-aged to old white guys 
Yeah. And they've all got white lab coats on and they're wearing like dark, you know, goggles. <laughs> and, you know, the one person who's going to throw the button, you know, throw the lever that's going to start this thing going peep, 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 and it's probably totally anticlimactic. It's probably this thing that looks like a large box with a bunch of dials on it. And then there's a little metal uh, platform some feet away as opposed to looking like lasers and robots and all the cool stuff that we like to think of. It probably looked very anticlimactic, but I can't help but think there must've been a moment where somebody was going to like push the button to start this thing that would just go pop, 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 pop. And they would measure dial readings and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But before the guy pushes that button, if some old white guy leaned over to some other old white guy and whispered, what do you think the chances are? This will vaporize Gary. <laughs> oh my god yeah i'd give you even money on that like how terrifying it must have been at some moments to say like and now gentlemen we're going to press this button and see what happens to that metal it is entirely possible that this room will combust (laughs) 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 what's funny is you got the nuclear fission bomb and then you have hydrogen bombs which are fusion bombs so it's like the first like major scale versions of this stuff were let's blow stuff up <laughs> yeah well <laughs> Which you know, oppenheimer oppenheimer lived with the guilt of having yeah. been one of the key architects of the atomic bomb and spent the rest of his life basically being a proponent of nuclear uh taking apart the nuclear arsenals because he was like, this is, it's an unholy amount of power to use in that way. And there really was the like, Oh, theoretically, like what is happening here? Our curiosity is driving our research. And then behind them is the group of people made up of everything from government to corporate to military saying like, we can use that right now. Yeah. And the real, yeah, push pull of moral ambiguity involved in all of that. So I think it's I th- when you brought up that it was 1920s and it's suddenly like it was kind of a well, duh, light bulb moment over my head of all those movies from the 1950s of yeah, yeah. them and, you know, the, the, I've been watching in the, uh, social isolation period that we're currently um, living through. I have been watching a lot of mystery science theater and so many of their movies are from the cold war era. Yep. And one of the things we, it's easy to say, Oh, the cold war era came out of world war two. But the seeds of what the Cold War era sci-fi was actually hearkening to was what you pointed out, which was the 1920s and 1930s research. Mm -hmm. Because the application of that in World War II in the form of the atomic bomb put it in front of everybody's radar. But when it came to the style of science that was depicted, they were actually showing something that existed before that bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. They are looking at those scientists in 
those rooms with their white lab coats and their dark goggles. And so when you said, oh, it started in the 1920s, it suddenly clarified for me all of that 1950s sci-fi pop yeah. of, of what science represented at that time. And the, the pop culture take on all of that largely was, we really don't know what the hell is happening. Yes. And so yes. here you are talking about they're still trying to piece together fusion. They're still trying to figure out. They know what is happening. But in some cases, how to harness it is the question mark. And I think it's fascinating. We're still now in the 21st century, in the 2020s. And in some ways, it feels very much like the sci-fi pop response of the 1950s is still here. Well, it it is. And that's that's actually the kind of the main thrust of my kind of thesis statement of the video, which was people keep going to that knee-jerk reaction of fusion energy is a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. And it's because it's been going on since the 20s and 30s, and we still right. don't have it. You're talking like 90 years. We're, we're heading towards 100 years of fusion energy research, and we still don't have it. But we have the fission energy nailed. <laughs> so it's like right. we have one half of the equation done. The other half seems like we're never going to get to it. So people just get this knee-jerk reaction. It's never going to happen. But the point that I was trying to bring drive home was this is a multi-generational process. Just because it didn't happen in your parents' lifetimes, and it may not happen in my lifetime, doesn't mean it won't happen. It's right. just our technical ability to do it has been limited. And as we have new breakthroughs in different technologies, it kind of unlocks old ideas we had to put on the shelf because we couldn't do them. But now we have, oh, we have these lasers now that can do petawatts of energy. It's like, that's what we needed. Now we've got yeah. those lasers. So let's go back to that old idea and try it now. Right. So it's it's one of those scientists basically all say the same thing. We will have fusion energy. There's no doubt. It's just a matter of when because right. there's challenges we have to overcome. And as we unlock new technologies, it's making it more and more possible. It's also, you mentioned uh, the the hurdles between having something that would work in a lab and something that could actually be a product, either yeah. uh, in a home. If uh, like some of these things really look like some of the research is being developed around local power, uh, as opposed to like massive. Uh, like you think of fission reactors, which are of course you wouldn't want a fission reactor in your basement. Um, so some but, of these new companies, some of these new companies are basically proposing that, Sean. Yeah. The, it's what I'm saying is that some <laughs> of these little look like they were on the scale of like, you could have this suitcase. in your house. Yeah. You yes. can have this in your house. <laughs> yeah. And then it becomes the lab research goes into, can we do this? We finally reached the point where we can, I can't imagine how long that stuff will be debated in government around safety and security issues because the idea of you put nuclear in front of any word and immediately it sounds like out. it's potentially dangerous. So it's a nuclear fusion reactor from my understanding. Let's say that you could build something that was the size of a suitcase and you could use it to power your house and your car and all that stuff. Based on your video, it was hard for me to know, would that 
be potentially dangerous in a way that would be beyond, you know, I can open up my wall and I could lick an outlet and I could kill myself. Yes. But I would be killing myself or conceivably I could start an electrical fire and burn down the house. So like there's, I'm not saying that what we currently have is absolutely foolproof or not dangerous in any way, but the word nuclear adds a level of bum, bum, bum to all of this. And my question is, is this technology that if it is put out in the public in that way is potentially dangerous as opposed to well, solar or but, wind turbine? It, it, from everything I understand, it's no more dangerous than something like if the reaction goes wrong, it's not going to destroy a city. <laughs> Let's put it that way. The more important thing that I took away from it was the nuclear reaction is not radioactive in the same way as a fission reaction where Chernobyl melts down and now nobody can go around Chernobyl for the next 200 years. Uh, If something like this exploded and destroyed the reactor itself, you could go in there next month. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's It's not going to be this horrible thing that's emitting radiation for hundreds of years where the explosion that's possible from this kind of thing if anything can be made into a weapon so like i said hydrogen bombs are fusion so it's like it is possible to weaponize it uh it's also possible to weaponize a pressure cooker (laughs) yeah yeah the boston marathon was bombed with a pressure cooker so it's like to to hold that up and say, oh my God, you could weaponize f- fusion reactors and it could become a weapon of terrorists. It's like there are already weapons of mass destruction that they can get their hands on. This is like no worse than the worst case scenario they already have access to. Right. But it's actually safer than nuclear fission using uranium and plutonium and things like that because this is using seawater. <laughs> right. Deuterium and tritanium to, to like right. create the reaction and make helium. So it's like it's it's a safer form of nuclear reaction, but people assume nuclear and think radiation, right? And from from a safety perspective, I imagine what one of the things that happens in a solar nuclear fusion is hydrogen is being converted into helium so i imagine that on a fusion reactor level if something goes wrong we would know because all of our voices would get super high and squeaky yeah we get very squeaky yeah yes yes that's the first warning sign yes you're like guys get out of here i think something's (laughs) wrong (laughs) oh my god i should have put that in the video yeah I'm available for your next one. One of the things that I noticed in the discussion after your video was that there was some back and forth in your viewers' comments around thorium. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you had any information around thorium. And and I know it wasn't included in your video, but did you have any, any additions that you wanted to make? Yeah, I've, people have brought up, like when I talk about grid-scale energy storage, people talk about, oh, we need thorium reactors. And in this video, when I talk about fusion, it came up again. There are people that are clearly huge proponents of it. 
one of those people is Bill Gates. I mean, he's funding companies that are doing thorium. Uh, they're putting together thorium reactors, uh, the research behind it. Uh, it's something that we've had knowledge about for decades. It's not something new, but we've never really had working thorium reactors in the world on a for grid grid scale energy. Uh, the standard nuclear reactors we have today kind of took hold. But the thing about thorium is it's less efficient than a standard nuclear reactor, which is part of the reason they were put on the shelf because it was, if you're trying to power a city of a million people, it may not be able to support the full scale. So you might have to build a couple of them. Uh, it is, it's safer. That's part of the reason why people keep bringing it up. The reaction itself is easier to manage. Like when you when you shut the reactor off, the reactor actually stops. <laughs> Where in a when you're using well, that's uranium nice, and plutonium, that's a nice feature. <laughs> well, I mean, th- well, think about think about yeah. Chernobyl. Run, it's like part, yeah, part, China runaway. Yeah, when a runaway reactor, it literally melts through the base of the reactor and starts burning its way to the core and hits the water table. It's going to destroy an entire area. Yeah. Uh, so it's like thorium reactors are absolutely safer, but they don't produce as much energy, which is why they were done in the past. And people keep holding it up as the the path to go because we have the knowledge and know-how how to do it today. So why are we not doing it? Why are we wasting money and time on fusion? But it comes back to the same thing I always bring up every time. We can walk and chew our gum at the same freaking time. There's nothing to say. Yeah, <laughs> We can't build a thorium reactor over here and have some scientists over here doing research into fusion. It's like there's there's nothing that says that we can't do both. And the reason I didn't talk about it was because it's a it's it's a it's its own video. <laughs> yeah. And it's I thought about bringing it up, but as soon as I thought about bringing it up, it's like this is like a hornet's nest. As soon as I talk about it, it's like going to take me down a path I don't intend to go down on this specific video. So I may do a video about it later. Well, as a viewer, uh I would think that that would be very interesting i would be mm-hmm. interested in in that as a video mm-hmm. so it's interesting that that uh discussion keeps coming up uh, again and again and i think that your um i think your viewers have kind of demonstrated a, an interest in that that would be worth paying attention to yeah, there's definitely an interesting clean energy generation. And it's like thorium reactors could be that. So it's it's definitely something worth talking about. Yeah. And and as you mentioned, it's not all there's not going to be a one size fits all solution to any of this. It would be analogous to saying, well, pick one, solar power or hydroelectric. You yeah, it, you gotta pick one. It's like people people go, I'm team solar. I'm team thorium. I'm team fusion. It's like, why do you have to be on anybody's team? Why can't we be like looking into all of this stuff? Well, what's remarkable too, is if you could get all three of those people to work together, they could form captain planet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So come on teams. Let us know what you think. You can reach out to us on Twitter at still TBD FM. You can reach me at by Sean Farrell. You can reach Matt at Matt Farrell or at Undecided MF. Please be sure to watch the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe. 
and you can leave comments on his videos there. You can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm and please be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well. You can do that through iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that podcasts are available. Please be sure to give us a rating, review, and share us with your friends because it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. Matthew then helps me. And I help Captain Planet. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. You can be sure to watch. That's a sentence that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah.